0: So, uh, this week I I did uh, a few quick calculations and figured out that I have, uh, uh, since my time began here at uh, Southern Hills, planned and prepared and and preached uh, just a a little over 1,500 sermons. That doesn't count, you know, Sunday school or uh, uh, messages for the 20-some years that I was leading youth group and that kind of stuff, just the Sunday morning sermons. And in one sense, I looked at that and thought, man, that seems like a a lot. But then I look at how much more there is uh, in Scripture yet to be covered, and I'm thinking, well, I could do another 1,500 sermons and still not be done. And all these thoughts came into my mind because I spent a fair amount of time this week thinking about what am I going to do for the final four messages that I'm going to be here. As always, of course, uh, I'm thinking and worrying and going through that. The Holy Spirit is always working way ahead of me. Uh, Up until um, our break for Christmas, uh, we had... um, spent the last several months doing sermons by request. Uh, This was an opportunity to answer some of the questions that that people might have concerning either particular verses or passage in the Bible or maybe issues uh, concerning uh, Christians or churches or that we might be facing in culture, this type of thing. And at the end of that series, I had planned to do uh, a few sermons covering a bunch of questions that I had received about why And what and how we do things here at Southern Hills Free Church. I mean, this church is different than what many had experienced uh, before. Um, A lot of you have come out of various uh, different church backgrounds, become part of the family here. And so I got a lot of questions like, uh, some covering simple things, others more profound. But uh, I had questions like, uh, why do we stand when we sing? Why do the elders lead prayer? Why don't we take prayer requests from the congregation and have different people pray? Why do people, why do I have people look in their Bible when, when I, I announce and read the sermon passage? How should we behave in church? Why not have communion every Sunday? Why is communion past Instead of having people come forward and receive it from the pastor, why don't we say the Lord's Prayer? Why do you pass an offering plate? What is an acceptable offering to God? Do you have to be baptized to be a member of, of this church? And what does membership mean and why is that important? What is acceptable worship? Should we raise our hands? What about the use of instruments in churches? As you can see, I got a bunch of different questions. Why we do what we do? And as I looked at uh, that, I thought it might be good for us to cover that as a church family and body in the next uh, four weeks because that will help Remind us of who we are as a church, who we are as a family, along with what is important to us and why. And that uh, will be vital, I believe, uh, to keep in mind as the church moves forward into what God always promises will be an exciting new future. Obviously, um, to answer that many questions, we'll be looking at a bunch of different verses in Scripture. And today, I. I always feel uh, I I, I feel like today's sermon is going to be introduction, the entire sermon Um, and then we'll move into things more and and so we'll lay some foundation today and then answer a bunch of questions but turn to me, uh, with me to 1 Timothy, little little book of 1 Timothy chapter 3 and uh, I picked these verses as a theme for today just because, well, you'll see why as we go through. Uh, we're not actually going to even spend much time focusing on them, but, but just as a, a, a platform to get us started. 1 Timothy chapter 3, just verses 14 and 15. One of the questions was, why do I have people look in their Bible when I read the passage when I'm going to read it out loud to them, right? There's, and that was the question. They came up and talked to me. And they said, well, you read it out loud to us, so why do we look in our Bible? Um, and and there's a number of reasons for it uh, but one is I want you to know it's really there um, you know there's shysters out there that will say hey God said this and uh, I-, I want you to see uh, that it's really there um, and so that's one of the primary reasons plus it's good for us to get in the habit of looking in our own Bibles and letting God speak to us so 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15 says this. Paul was writing to a young pastor named Timothy, and he said, I am writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long, but in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. Father God, we thank you so much uh, for your word that, that guides us instructs us leads us strengthens us god your word uh, is a resource for us and so we're thankful uh, that you've uh, given it to us given us opportunity like this to study to look into it and to learn from you but mostly god we thank you that you work through your word by the power of the holy spirit to prepare us and strengthen us for your plans and purposes for us in this world so God, as we look today at what you want to teach us, we just pray that you would be free to work in our hearts and minds. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I, I, I'm suspecting most of you know this, but I, I'm going to say it anyways to, uh, to establish it right up front. We, we need to know that there is no verse or verses, no passage anywhere in the Bible that says this is how you should do church, right? Uh, There are no verses that say, here's what a worship service should look like, here's a list of things that you should make sure you do at church. In fact, did you know that there's not even a single verse in the Bible that tells you you're supposed to have a church service? I mean, the closest you can get to that, is uh, Hebrews chapter 10 where it says, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So, that verse does tell us that we are supposed to assemble or meet or gather together um, together and it and it's, uh, indicates on a, on a regular basis but other than telling us that we do that as an opportunity to look at how to encourage each other and stimulate one another on uh, a faithful walk in Christ, that love and good deeds, it really doesn't tell us anything about what it means to have a service why we gather together doesn't say anything about what you should do during that time, how long that time should last. says nothing about pastors, or singing, or taking an offering, or doing communion, or any of those things. There's no indication of how often they should meet. says, you know, don't, don't forsake your meeting together. Well, was that daily? Weekly? Monthly? How, how often were they supposed to meet? And uh, when were they supposed to meet? Was it still supposed to be on the Sabbath day that the Jews um, uh, met for worship? Or, or was it supposed to be on Sunday because that's the day that Jesus rose from the dead? Or Tuesday at 2 o'clock? It never says. It doesn't give any time. The truth is, if you got together with a couple of your Christian friends On a regular basis, you went to a coffee shop, you sat around, drank coffee, encouraged one another, challenged each other in your faith, built each other up, you would be fulfilling what that verse calls for. So, let's go back to our theme verse real quick. First Timothy, Paul said that he was writing to Timothy so that he would know how one ought to conduct himself in, in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. And, and when he said conduct himself, uh, he wasn't talking about an order of service, right? Uh, I'm not telling you here, this is what you should do in church. And he wasn't even talking about uh, specifically, hey, this is how people are supposed to behave in church. Here's how you conduct yourself when you show up at the church building, right? He wasn't talking about that. He was actually giving instructions to Timothy, who was this young pastor, and saying, hey, here's what you need to know as a pastor for church. And, and, and that, that command is bracketed it, uh, right previous to it. He talks about here's what you need to know in terms of selecting leaders for your church. And then afterwards, he talks about, hey, Timothy, here's what you need to know in order to be a good servant to the church. And then he talks about relationships in the church and in all these different ages and, and so um, he, he's passing all that information on but there's no talk about an actual service or uh, a worship time and anything like that so maybe you're wondering well, well then why do you pick those verses as kind of a theme for uh, when we're trying to look at answering these questions about what we do in a service and and um, I did it because it just it struck me, hey, there is something <laughs> that God expects. There is something that God expects, and he has a certain way He wants us to conduct ourselves, not just the pastor, but uh, the, the members of the congregation as well. But it's more about our attitude and our actions towards one another and less about specifically what you would do in church. In fact, as I've studied through the Bible and and specifically the New Testament, you look at church and what it's supposed to be and and all this kind of stuff, I have come to the conclusion that God really doesn't care if we sit or stand or lay on the floor when we're singing. Right? He, He doesn't give any instructions about that. Instead, he does care a great deal about how we treat each other, how we talk about each other, how we even think about each other. Because he wants us to come together as a family, as a body, as a brotherhood of believers. And he cares about those relationships. If there is friction between you and, and one of your fellow believers, then when it comes to church, God's not going to be the least bit impressed with how you dress up for church or how well you sing or how much money you give or how big the Bible is that you carry or any of those other things. In fact, the truth is, God doesn't even want you doing church if you're not willing to work on clearing up any relational troubles. And and I can say that with confidence. I mean, I know that uh, as a fact because that's what Jesus himself taught during the Sermon on the Mount, right? He, He said, therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, that would be what we would translate as doing church. You're coming to do church. And there you remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and do church. Then come and present your offering. I mean that's that's pretty bold, isn't it? He, he doesn't even want you to show up for church until you've reached out to your brother. That's how we're supposed to conduct ourselves in the household of God, the church. It's a its a relational thing. But all of that indicates that we should be doing something when we gather together, right? And, and so getting back to that idea of a church service, uh, even though there's no, you know, sample bulletin in the Bible for us, hey, you can... follow this order of service, which I believe some people think there are because if you try to change things in a service, some people might go ballistic and and they think, hey, it's right there in Leviticus. This is what you do. Um, It's not. There's no sample bulletin, uh, no order of service. Uh, We do know that those early uh, Christians gathered together regularly for worship. And that means they were doing church and therefore doing church is a good thing. Right, But how is it then if none of those specifics are given that we should figure out what it is that we do? I mean, that church over there, they have communion every single Sunday. There's another church over here that only has communion once a year. We do communion here generally about once a month. Who's right? Does that mean the others are wrong? Our church uh, sings songs with a variety of musical instruments and styles. Another church sings only a cappella, no instruments allowed in the church. Some other churches might have a minimal instruments, but they only allow chanting of the Psalms right from the book of Psalms. Is one acceptable and therefore the other is not? Some churches have you kneel and stand and sit and, and recite certain phrases during the service. Some churches follow a rigid liturgical format. Uh, not only for each Sunday service, but through the year. Some churches are a little bit more free-flowing in how they do service or approach the calendar. So how are we supposed to figure out what we're supposed to do, what we should do, the way it's supposed to be being done? And then how should we respond to churches and Christians who do it different than we do it? More importantly, how should I think and about and, and what should I do with the person maybe in our own congregation who thinks we should be doing things different than we are? Or even maybe more vital, what do you do in your own heart when you're saying, I don't really like that. It's not my... I, I think they should be doing it different. What, what do you do in your own heart then when you come to that position? I mean, these are important questions because, as we already saw, God does expect us to have a certain way we conduct ourselves in the household of God. And, it, and, and, and we're supposed to be conducting ourselves in a, a loving and harmonious way, even with people we don't see eye-to-eye with in terms of how we do things as a church. So here's, here's the deal. When it comes to figuring out what we should do in terms of worship service, since the Bible doesn't give us any specific instructions, we, we end up having to make decisions based on principles or, or clues that we can gather from Scripture. And, and I think that requires us then if we're going to want to be biblical, follow the Bible, uh, requires us to really look at two different things. One, you can look at the examples that we see in the Bible. Now, unfortunately, there's nowhere recorded for us the entirety of a church service. Okay They met, first thing they did was this, they did that. they didn't You know where do you see uh, an example of that? But we do have multiple examples in, in the Bible of Christians meeting together. For worship, little snapshots, just little pictures of things here and there. And so we can gather things from the examples in, in, in the Bible. Um, and we need to understand uh, that the examples, um, uh, well, we'll get into that. And, and then the second thing you need, we would base it on is directive teaching. So we have some samples. We have little snapshots of things that happen in worship service. And then we do have some directive teachings. Again, no directive teaching that says this is how you do church, but rather directive teachings of things we are supposed to do with one another in community, in group when we gather together. Uh, And so uh, let me give you an illustration of both those things, a sample and and a directive teaching. The book of Acts chapter 20 uh, verse 7 gives us a picture of one aspect or a little part of a service when people got together acts chapter 20 verse 7 says this on the first day of the week when we were gathered together to break bread paul began talking to them intending to leave the next day and he prolonged his message until midnight there's an example of one church service right uh, you know breaking bread was uh, the the phrase generally used for sharing in communion, right? And, and so here are these guys were going to have a communion service together. And Paul was preaching uh, a sermon, and and um, he, it was he was going to be leaving soon. And so he preached, and he kept on preaching, and we have no idea what time he started preaching, but he was still going at midnight. So, in order for us to be biblical, should we do the same thing? Fortunately, for you, the answer is no. <laughs> and I'll explain why in a little in, in a little while. But let me give you an example. You know, that's just a sample picture little snapshot we give but let me, let me give you an illustration of directive teaching then that we find in the Bible it comes from Ephesians chapter 5 and it says this speaking to one another in psalms hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord okay so here's here uh, that that sentence is written in the imperative form meaning it's given as instruction it's given as a command this is something you should be doing But notice it doesn't give any parameters uh, concerning how, when, where uh, to do it. There's nothing in the context of these verses that talk about this happening specifically at a worship service, uh, and um, that's the case for most of these directive teachings that we find in the Bible. They tell us these are things to do in community, these are things to do for one another together together, but it doesn't say, do this at church. And yet, we figure many of these things ought to be done at church. So, how, how do we translate those directive teaching, those commands, into what should happen at a Sunday morning church service? You see, that, that's really our challenge with both the examples we find in the Bible and the directive teachings why why does this happen at church why do these things take place and go on at church and you 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 know when the bible doesn't give a lot of specific instructions where did that come from And, and you begin to find out as you look into that that a lot of times what we do in church is cultural more than it is biblical it's just well that's the way it's been done so I thought it was supposed to be done that way and can things be different in church and still be honoring to God and be biblical? Absolutely. We've just kind of fallen into a pattern. Into a rut, you might say. So how do we know what's supposed to be right and what's supposed to be wrong? Well, you you follow those principles uh, and, and, or you take, I, I think there's two basic principles we can take from, from those things. Uh, one is specifically related to the examples, those little snapshots we see of church services in the Bible, and the second one would apply to both those snapshots and the directive teachings, right? So, so the first principle, here's, here's how we have to decide what we do. First principle, always keep in mind that the accounts of what happened in the early church are descriptive, not prescriptive. Okay? you'll come across those little snapshots, those pictures, Christians getting together for a worship service throughout the New Testament, especially in the book of Acts, you'll see them. And the temptation is for people to say, well, hey, that's what they did in the early church, so now that's how we're supposed to do it. That's what we're supposed to do today. And what they're doing is they're taking a description of what went on and they're making it prescriptive. They're making it an order or a command for what must take place today. So again, let's go back to that verse that we looked at, that 1 in Acts chapter 20, right? On the first day of the week when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul began talking to them intending to leave the next day, and he prolonged his message until midnight. As you read that and and you continue on in the passage, you naturally understand that this is simply a narrative account of a particular incident that happened. It's a description of what took place and went on and, and if you continue to read in Acts chapter 20 you'll, you'll see more details given For instance they met on the third floor of a building um, And we know that because Paul preached so long That a kid fell asleep uh, in Sitting in the window still And fell out and, and died uh, Falling down there um, Good ending to the story God raised him from the dead And, and, and his parents were happy But, um, but you know are, are we supposed to have church on the third floor of buildings Because that's what they did there. Am I supposed to preach till midnight? We have no idea what time he started, but you preached. You know, nobody I know argues that you should do those things. And yet I have heard people argue that, hey, you're supposed to have church on Sunday, the first day of the week, because that's what it says there. Hey, they were meeting on the first day of the week, which in, in the Jewish calendar was Sunday. Uh, Some people use this same verse for uh, supporting the idea that you're supposed to have communion every week. See, they were meeting to break bread together on that first day. See, that's the pattern we see with them. But why would you take one point and not the others and make it normative for what you're supposed to do today? They pick and choose only what they want. Um... The Bible never tells us when we should meet together to worship. Well, why does it happen on Sunday? You ever wondered why it happens on Sunday? Well, because it's the weekend, right? That makes That's a good time to have church because nobody's at work. You realize that in the early church, which began in Israel, Sunday was a work day. Sunday was the first day of a new week, the beginning of that work day, and and since work began uh, shortly after the sun uh, came up, the chances are they always met in the evening. So if we were to translate that over into our culture, it'd be like doing church Monday nights. That's what they were having to do. This was a regular work day. But they chose to meet that day because they wanted to celebrate the fact that, hey, this is the day that Jesus rose from the dead. This is, this is the day that changed everything for us. And so this, this seems like a good day for us to meet. But we also read in the Bible where they met day by day, throughout the week. It wasn't until the year 361 when the Roman Empire mandated Sunday worship. And, and, and so soon after that, when they mandated Sunday worship, well then that's when it became uh, popular to take the day off, make it a day of rest, and so then church services moved to the morning and people were doing uh, church in the morning, and now you ended up having two days of rest a week, the Sabbath day and Sunday, and that's where our weekend came from, just just in case you're wondering. Um, That's how it got started on Sunday morning. Do you think God cares which day of the week you get together to praise Him on? To thank Him for what He's done? To seek Him in, in how we should live and how we can make an impact for Him in, in our families and, and, and in our community? How we can encourage one another as, as brothers? How many times a week do you think God would want us doing that? Yeah, you know, so much of what we do, we do out of habit rather than uh, basing it on the Bible. So, so the first principle that guides us is, is just understanding this truth that what we do in church a lot of times is based on little sample things we've picked up, but, but understand that those New Testament stories are descriptive. They're just describing what went on. They're not prescriptive. They're not saying, this is what you have to do today. And you'll find people that will try to make that argument that this is what you have to do. Okay, the second principle then Oh, and this is specifically when it comes to directive teachings, um, is, um, is, is this. Um, I, I lost my place here already. Uh, with the directive teachings, uh, like the one we did with singing, and the principle that guides us here is this, is that we understand, we need to understand the difference between form and function. Form and function, Okay. So again, let's let's go back to that uh, descriptive or uh, yeah, the uh, um, directive teaching of singing, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Okay, singing by that command is something that is supposed to be part of what we do together right? Use the term one another. So that's not saying you can't sing when you're by yourself. That's a a separate thing. You know, you can still do that. But but this is specifically talking about in community, in group, in gathering together. God wants singing to be a part of something we do. Um, And and so that's the function, right? To sing. Um, But notice it says absolutely nothing about the form that it should take. In other words, it doesn't tell you what style of music is appropriate. You ever heard anybody argue that one style of music is supposed to be more holy than another? They didn't get that from the Bible. It doesn't tell you if there should be instruments or not, when you should do it, how many songs you should sing? Are choruses okay versus you know what was a huge fight in the church a couple hundred years ago? singing songs that didn't come from the Bible. All their songs were from the book of Psalms. And then some people started, can you believe this? People started writing songs to God. And they wanted to sing them. And sing them in church? Oh, no, you can't do that. was a huge fight in the church. All those things are Forms. And you know that the Bible hardly ever gives any instruction on forms. It just tells you the function that he wants you to do. Sing, pray, worship, preach, these types of things. And and sometimes we do get a little bit of guidelines around a function. For instance, in this case, in terms of singing, we can see the purpose for it uh, in another verse found in Colossians where it says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you Uh, with all wisdom teaching and and admonishing one another with psalms hymns and spiritual songs singing with thankfulness in your hearts to god so there you see now we got some parameters that that this purpose of our singing is supposed to be instructive that that we're uh encouraging and, and building up and instructing one another even through our songs giving thanks to god through that so uh um says it's based on the word of Christ which is another way of saying based on the uh, word of God. That's that's the function of singing, but again, nothing in there about the form of singing. Is there a type of song? Is there a type of music that doesn't worship God? Nope. He doesn't ever give any instructions on that. So, you can think of the style of music you hate the most. And there are some people that would want to use that style of music to worship God because it's the one that they love the most, that is easiest for them. I am glad that opera is not the style of music that is sung in church. Okay, I had a hard time not laughing at this lady in church who had a beautifully trained operatic voice. But as a kid, oh man, It just sent me into fits of laughter when I would hear her singing from the, 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 you know, just, that's the way it is. Um, You know, if we focus, if we focus on the forms, we're going to spend a lot of time being discontent. Because guess what? Forms change. You have preferences and likes and other people have different preferences and likes and we go to church together and God wants us to have good relationships through those differences and likes. If you focus on the functions so that you are coming to worship God through them giving thanks to him for how he is working in your life and in the life of the church and impacting this community, then the forms will end up being more of a minor issue that you can choose to live with even if it's not your number one preference. And chances are some of the forms of the way things happen here at Southern Hills are going to change to change over the next year or two. But as long as we hold fast to the biblical functions that God has called us to, then I believe that God will continue to do a good work through this body of believers. And that's going to happen as we keep our eyes on Him. Now I do want to answer a lot of those questions very specifically because people had them. But we'll do that next week as we begin looking at how do we apply these foundational principles, form and function, descriptive, not prescriptive. How do we apply that to, why do we do what we do here at Southern Hills Church? Till then, let's keep our focus on what God's doing. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much that that the church is yours that Jesus Christ is the head of the church. We thank you for the freedom that there is in the way that church is done. That it's not about any specific form, but about truly worshiping you, giving our hearts and lives to you, and and letting you work through and in us. So God, we pray that as we uh, look at some of these uh, specific questions that were asked, that you would help us to remember what is truly important, in gathering together. We pray this in Jesus' name.